Hello and welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari. This is Great Big History Podcast. Thank you for coming by. Today we talk about decolonization and the British Raj and India and the making of Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, South Asia. The British Raj was huge. It stretched from southern Afghanistan, from the deserts of Iran, all the way to the jungles of Burma. It held some 300 million people and one of the oldest civilizations on Earth. The Indus River Valley and the Ganges River Valley civilizations go back four or 5,000 years. Which brings us to Gandhi. There were independence movements, of course, before Gandhi, uh, before the Second World War. But uh, Gandhi was the man who was able to take the British Constitution and use it to argue for Indian independence. He was a British-trained lawyer, and he used the British Constitution and the European Enlightenment those ideas we talked about of lock, of freedom and self-determination, to argue for independence. His methodology of this was nonviolence. Now, that's a misnomer because it's not just you don't you protest and you don't commit violence. It's that you allow violence to be done onto you, that you gain a moral victory. The British argument for holding on to India was a moral one, even though it was an economic situation. The idea was India, the subcontinent, South Asia, was a colony, and Britain was extracting the resources at a low price, manufacturing those resources into high-value goods, and then making the profit. They were buying low and selling high, with a monopoly, no one else could compete. No one else could go into India. No one else could own parts. No one else. So Britain had artificially low prices for its resources that it paid, and then it could pay out high prices and bag the profit. But their argument because that argument is unjust. That argument is, you live in poverty, but I get rich. Yeah, That's a tough one to argue. So their argument was, we are making you better. We are getting you ready to enter the League of Nations. We are, what would have been said in the 19th century, civilizing you. And so the entire argument was based upon ethical morality. That Europe is better. And that it's our job, like the white man's burden from Kipling, to make you better. And to be fair, India is probably the best, or the British Raj of what we call India, South Asia, is probably the best example of the application of that idea. Unlike the Congo, unlike many places in South Africa, 
um, in Central Africa where that was the argument and they made no pretense of educating anybody, of creating a middle class. In India, they did, following the Sepoy mutiny in um, 1856. That was a determination. That there, India was too big to rule on, on your own. It was way too big to occupy by a British army. And so they were going to have to create a Indian middle class, a pro-British, British-educated, English-speaking Indian middle class. And Gandhi is part of that. He is a British-trained lawyer. He goes and works in South Africa. He is part of the British colonial system at its best. Now, we can argue whether that best is actually a good thing, but it was, the, it was the way it was supposed to work, was the idea. He is a product of what was supposed to happen. The problem was, as he turns around and many of his supporters turn around, that Indian middle class turns around and says, we're ready for independence. And Britain said, yeah, but we like that cheap prices, man. So maybe you're not ready. We're not ready for you to have independence yet. And so the idea is to do things. Gandhi's nonviolence is really about doing things that provoke violence from the other side and then not responding. It is allowing yourself to be beaten, to be arrested, to be hosed, to have dogs uh, attack you. Because that's the moral victory. It will show that what the argument of the other side is, is a lie. And it becomes the model for independence and civil rights movements throughout the world. This is the Martin Luther King movements throughout the American South, which were controversial, even within civil rights organizations. And so there's a problem. And that problem is history and religion. The vast majority of people on the subcontinent, south of the Himalayas and east of the Iranian plateau, are Hindu. Going back to the Aryan conquest some 3,000 years ago, they're Hindu. Islam came through India uh, originally in the um, 600s as part of the first wave of Arab conquests. Uh, it would retreat in the in the after the fall of the um, about not the Abbasids the uh, Umayyads, and then it would come back from Muslim, uh, what we would call Afghanistan, but it wasn't Afghanistan at the time, but Afghani Turkish conquerors, Mahmud, the Mughals, these various conquerors that emanate from Afghanistan come down the Indus 
conquering northern India from Indus and the Ganges rivers. And there are times when they live in relative peace and harmony, and there are times when they do not. But the relationship between Islam and Hinduism is one of conflict. It's a foreign invader coming into India and imposing its will. And so the history of India is one where India breaks up. We've talked about this in History 101. India is united in India. It breaks up. It breaks up into pieces because of these geographic, these religious, these cultural divides. And what happens is Islam becomes entrenched in the Indian middle and upper classes, which makes complete sense. It does it in the Middle East. The idea is Islam probably isn't going anywhere. The government is Islamic. And so if I want to make money or I want to be important, I want to be a mayor, I want to be a governor, I've got to be Muslim. And so places with a large middle class, places that are tied to international trade, which is now every, everyone who surrounds India is now Islamic. And so what happens is the... Indus River basically becomes Muslim. Uh, the majority becomes Muslim. And the Ganges Basin, where you have sea trade, mostly with Indonesia and Southeast Asia, becomes Muslim as well. In between them is this giant mass, is the, is the Indus River, for the most part, and everything south of that, the Deccan Plateau, which is Hindu. So the great interior of India is Hindu, the parts that don't connect much with the outside world, while the parts that are part of international trade become Islamic. And then the British show up. And the British do what all conquerors do since the Romans, but even before the Romans, but the Romans made this famous with their divide and conquer. The British are perfectly willing to hire minority groups to help them. So the disenfranchised, so they're perfectly willing to hire Hindus to beat up on the Muslim governors, kings, leaders. But they're also willing to hire Muslims as well. And so these religious divides get entrenched. That religion equaled identity became entrenched because the British history in India is to play these groups off against each other and then to come in as a savior. After 1856, after the Sepoy Mutiny, which is for the most part a Hindu mutiny, because by this point, 90% of the population is Hindu. If the British are going to be thrown out, it's going to be by the Hindu population. They begin educating. They begin pouring money into, and the best jobs to, the Muslim population, which was better educated to start with. And so part three of this is education and income inequality happens between these two religious groups as well as the Islamic Muslim Indians do better.
as ideas of nationalism come in, it's very clear that the Muslims are the minority in this new Indian world. And they need a protector, the British. And so while Hindu peasants, Hindu farmers continue to toil in poverty in the middle and the south of the country, Muslim Indians do much better. They get better education. They get better income. And then finally, there's the fear, there's the problem of the rules of democracy. With the rules of democracy, the majority wins. And that's a problem if you're the minority. You know this if you take a look at the African-American situation in the American South. You know this if you uh, have followed gerrymandering at all in America, both liberal and conservative gerrymandering. The idea is to get more of your voters than the other side. And so the arguments for independence in 1900 are we want a democracy just like you have. We deserve a democracy just like the British have. And that gives the Muslims a lot of pause. Because in any kind of major election, national election, if India, traditional India, British India, is independent as one giant country, that's a problem. Because it means you are going to lose. Meanwhile, since Muslim Indians dominate, have a uh, lead in income inequality, they dominate in education, they dominate in income, they dominate the big businesses, they even are a major part of the British army. There's a fear of the by the Hindus of if the British leave, we won't get a democracy, we'll get what we've always had, a Islamic conquest and then dictatorship. So there's fear on both sides. The result is conflict, mass protests by both Muslims and Hindus, violence. And in 1947, the British do what they did as we talked about in Palestine. Thank you very much. I'm out. Gone. I'm pulling out. And what you get is the partition. India falls apart. And it falls apart very heavily along religious lines. And you get new countries. You get Pakistan, which has an eastern and a western part. It is Muslim in its majority. It has the Indus River and the Ganges Basin, separated by about, what, 2,000 miles. It has India, the old Hindustan. It has Sri Lanka. It has Bhutan. It has Burma. Though Burma was, Myanmar was considered separate from the Indian peace, it gains its independence as well, and that's a Buddhist country. So basically where the Buddhist people are. So if you're a Hindu there or you're a Muslim there, you're in trouble. And that is currently going on today with a, with a genocide in Burma, Myanmar. 
the partition is a trauma. If you are a Hindu in the new country of Pakistan, you've got a problem because now you're the minority. And if you're the minority, you're going to be oppressed. And if you're a Muslim in Hindustan, in the new India, you've got a problem because you're going to be a minority and you're going to be oppressed. And then, so there's a trauma as people try to leave. If you're a Muslim in one section, in the, in the Hindu section, you try to get to the other section. If you're Hindu in Pakistan, you're trying to get back to India. You're trying to get to India. Now, you've lived there hundreds, if not thousands of years as a family. And what the partition does is crack India into these pieces, just like India has cracked before. But this time you get massive refugees. As people try to get to one side or the other before the lines harden. Add to that now death squads. Why would there be death squads? Well, Here's the problem with a nation. If you have a minority, the minority are going to want things. They're going to want voting rights. They're going to want rights. They're going to want stuff. They might even win elections. But if they're dead, then they won't. And so what you get is these death squads who go to murder the other side. So in Pakistan, you have Muslim death squads murdering Hindus. But you also have Hindu death squads in India murdering Muslims. Remember, in democracy, the majority wins. One way of becoming the major majority, as um, we can discuss in Rwanda, for example, is you murder, or we did in Turkey, is you murder the minority. You murder the other side until you are definitely the majority. So there are death squads. There were some states that cracked up even more, like the Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka, Bhutan, makes it look like it's clean. But even then, Sri Lanka broke into pieces. In India and in Hindustan, independent states said, whoa, 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 we're independent. We were independent when the British showed up. The British treated us as independent. We want to be independent. We're not part of India. We haven't been part of India in 500 years. The British said we were independent. And so what happens is you get the invasion, the conquest by a central government of these independent states. So even within their states, to make a modern country, there's a, there's a short-term civil war where a Hindu government is invading a Hindu state in order to absorb it into a larger Hindu nation. So more people are getting murdered. And then finally, Pakistan is separated by 2,000 miles of Hindustan. It's not unified. And in fact, the people of Pakistan have very little in common with the people in, of West Pakistan, have very little in common with the people of East Pakistan. They've been separated by 2,000 miles forever. They are... The only thing they have in common is they are vaguely Muslim. But they're not necessarily even the same kind of Muslim. So you can see this is going to be a trauma. And it's a trauma the world hasn't woken up from yet. And certainly South Asia hasn't woken up from yet.
What then happens over the next 30 years is a series of wars. And in those wars, India wins. In 1947, India takes and then keeps Kashmir. Now, Kashmir is this northern state, the northernmost state of India, that's a majority Muslim state. It should be part of Pakistan. If you're just going by which religion the majority is goes into which country, the idea of the partition, Kashmir should be part of Pakistan. The problem is, is that the government in Kashmir said, no, we want to be part of India. And so there's now this problem where Pakistan, the people in Pakistan, the Muslims in Pakistan, look at the people in Kashmir as lost cousins, as people left behind. We have to get them back. We have to save them from oppression. Meanwhile, India says, it's ours. We got it. We took it. It's ours. So there's a brief war in 47 over this. In 1965, Pakistan is help, starts to help insurgents in Kashmir. There are, there are lost brothers. we got to bring them back. They need guns. They need money. Sure, we'll help them out. In 1965, that caused an Indian invasion. India wins again. The result of this is that Pakistan doubles down on terrorism. Pakistan becomes a supporter of terrorism. It cannot fight India in a army against army state. Now, that's weird. You should understand that. Because when the partition happens, Pakistan was the better country. Pakistan got the better part of the military. Pakistan had less people. That's true. But they were better educated. They were more tied to international trade. They had had a long history of the last two to three hundred years of being part, the better part of the British Empire. They got more of their wealth. Pakistan should be the richer of the two. India was saddled with 500 million poor peasants who could barely make uh, two, 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 rub two sticks together and make any money because they were poor peasants and had been toiling in poverty for centuries. So the fact that India starts winning these wars is a big deal. It's, it's, it, it, it's unusual. It shouldn't happen, and yet it does, and it's part of India's rise as a, as a major country. So Pakistan can't fight an army-on-army -army war, so they, go to, they start supporting terrorists. And that starts in Kashmir, and after 1979... It's in Afghanistan. When the Russians, when the Soviet Union invades Afghanistan, um, terrorist organizations, freedom fighters, people, the CIA and the United States support are all going to go to Pakistan. Today, the Taliban are in Pakistan. Osama bin Laden found refuge in Pakistan. Pakistan has become a supporter of terrorists because it can't fight India on its own. In 1971, India, uh, Pakistan breaks apart. Excuse me. Pakistan breaks apart. There's a civil war because Western Pakistan was oppressing Eastern Pakistan. And Eastern Pakistan said, I'm, we're not going to take it anymore. And they declared their independence. And that becomes Bangladesh. Bangladesh wins its independence because India helps it become independent. 
Bangladeshi nationals are, were different ethnic groups than West Pakistanis. Well, they're separated by 2,000 miles, it makes total sense. So... In 1971, Pakistan breaks apart into Pakistan and Bangladesh. So this process that we talked about in History 101 where there's one India and then India breaks apart and then it breaks apart into smaller pieces, we're living that. This has been going on in your parents' lifetime and now in your lifetime. The wars of 1965 and 1971 basically prove to India that Pakistan is no longer a competition. They're this little angry annoyance of a little brother that India's real competition is China over the Himalayas, touching Kashmir, that India and China are really in competition. And China has nukes, which means India has nukes. India has to get nukes. India gets nukes, which means Pakistan says, well, then we need nukes because India has nukes. And getting nukes is a way of saying we matter. Because India just doesn't need to care anymore. And this is our last piece on, on this. Um, what has happened to the economy? The gross domestic product in 1960... India was slightly better than Pakistan, mostly because it had more people. But if you did per capita in 1960, 1945, 1940, what becomes Pakistan would have been higher in per capita. What you get is this growth, especially after 1975 where India keeps rising and rising and rising, and Pakistan doesn't. And one reason is Pakistan continues to have military coups. And so it has a weak state, which is a reversal of 1947. When 1947 happened, Pakistan looked the better of the two countries. Muslims were better off. Life was better. You would have picked Pakistan to live in, historically. But India has become much larger, much bigger, and especially after 1990, where it's now six times larger. There is no competition between India and Pakistan. It's, it's in Pakistan's mind. If Pakistan didn't have nukes, India really did, wouldn't even have to care about it. If Pakistan didn't harbor terrorists that continue to bomb places in Kashmir, India just wouldn't care. It's that much bigger. It's six times bigger and will continue to get bigger. And so what started out as two, one country that had ethnic problems broke into multiple countries of which one is now dominant. And it's not the historically dominant part. And that's all about economics, now about education, stability, democracy. India has more of all of those things than Pakistan does. 
Sri Lanka will have 25 years of civil war, ethnic civil war, and actually have one group win. The Sri Lankan government will eventually conquer northern Sri Lanka, which rarely happens in guerrilla wars. They will actually conquer it and win it to, to reform a unified um, Sri Lanka. You'll have a Maoist pro-Chinese uh, civil war, low-level civil war going on in Nepal for, what is it, 20 years now? Which, of course, will make the government of Nepal more dictatorial because to hunt down guerrillas, the government needs more power to spy on its people, which, of course, makes people more angry with the government. Um, but Nepal has the Himalayas, and so makes can make up some of that money in tourism. Uh, Burma became a military dictatorship and basically disappeared from the world for 25, 30-plus years. It's only recently re-entered world economic and political life. And India and Pakistan continue to, as countries, hate each other. Now, here's the interesting thing. Muslims in India do better than Muslims in Pakistan. Muslims in India, despite problems of, of um, racism, for lack of a better way of calling it, uh, do succeed. Uh, much of the actors in India, much of the great actors are Muslim. And so Muslims in India have found, even though they are the minority, they're around 10% of the population, they have found a place of stability and success, if not always security. There are, every once in a while, in various different states, populist leaders who, who, who point out the Muslim boogeyman. All Muslims must be terrorists. We have to murder the Muslims, kick them out of our country. And that happens. And that has been happening more as it happens in Europe and the United States more since 2005, 2000, 2001, really, with the World Trade Center. Um, that increasingly there are these ethnic divides that are becoming f uh, fortified. So that's the um, subcontinent of Asia, and um, that's India and Pakistan, Sri Lanka and Nepal. Thank you very much.